And I am going to John chapter 4 in just a few moments, if you want to, if you haven't already, find your place in the Bible. Okay, I wanted to start off with this. Imagine you are in a waiting room of some kind. Large waiting room, doctor, dentist, urgent care, DMV, courthouse for jury, doesn't matter. You're in a room with a whole lot of people. And you know it's going to take a a long time, and so you bring something to read. And as you left your place this this particular morning, you grabbed C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, some volume from that series. And you get to be reading, and it's it's close quarters. That person uh, sitting near you is actually sitting right next to you. And she notices that you're reading C.S. Lewis' Chronicles of Narnia, and she, her face lights up, and she has a conversation with you, and you, you share a delightful exchange about her, her uh, gra- gravity toward C.S. Lewis and all things Narnia, and she's been there, and she has done that, she's read that, she's impressed that she's found another adult who has, who has read that, and, and at the end of that, that series, there's just sort of a pause. And then she asks, you know, did that guy, C.S. Lewis, I think is his name, did, didn't he write some other books? Did he write something on religion? And, and you can tell she's not, she's not looking for a fight. She just wants to know something about C.S. Lewis and something about books on religion. Are you ready for that kind of conversation? How would you handle that? Would you be able to take that conversation and push past Aslan and the kids and take it to her need to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Okay, let's try another one. Let's say you're at a a wedding, a cousin's wedding, and you haven't been around this person or with those family members in quite some time, and you get to talking to a a relative who is there. And... uh, you know, nice exchange, and you're, you're talking, you know, just the standard things that are socially polite, pause. And then he says, now, I heard something about you. I think you got religion. What happened? And you can tell this person is not trying to pick a fight, just wants to know, how you doing? What's the latest? And what's this stuff about religion in your life? How would you respond to that kind of a conversation, that kind of an invitation to say some things? Would you be able to say something about yourself and at the same time speak about God and Jesus Christ and how it is that Jesus has changed your life? Do you realize that the Bible calls us to be ready? And so I'm just pushing on that a little bit this morning. Are you prepared for encounters or opportunities such as those. Now, just so you know, I will, I'll be talking a little bit about evangelism this morning, and I know that, that worries some people, but I want you to know I never learned anything about evangelism in a classroom. In all my, and I'm well-educated. In all my years of school, I never took a class on evangelism. I don't even know if there was one offered. Never had one. It never seemed to come up in seminary. Don't know why. It seems like it ought to come up, and if it's not up on the on the curriculum, professor, bring it up. Wow, why are we silent about this? So I'm not telling you anything that's classroom material. I'm telling you some things that I learned in the school of life and the Bible. Just, just wanting to be upfront about that. 
The task of telling people about Jesus Christ is uh, sometimes called evangelism. I think there's the word evangel that means a messenger of good news. We spread it out and we take it as evangelism. But very often, we miss this. Very often, there is something called pre-evangelism. Before a person can be ready, or actually is ready, to hear a gospel presentation, they have some obstacles, some misunderstandings, some clutter in their life, some misperceptions about Christianity that need to be dealt with. And, and we can be in this, in this process of pre-evangelism. We're going to look at two words today, reaping and sowing. Sowing is the process of sowing gospel seeds, not just simply being nice and, and hoping that somebody notices you, but actually saying some things and enter, entering into relationship where perhaps uh, you can be helpful toward removing obstacles. For me, this dates back to the uh, year of 1979. As God would have it, and I still marvel that this actually occurred, I ended up in, the, in a classroom at Seattle Pacific University. I was not a Christian. And I was taking a class, and they, they told me, this is the only thing that fits into your schedule. Ha! Well, maybe God had something to do with this, but it was a class called Understanding the Christian Faith. And, and one of the books we were assigned to read in that class was called Mere Christianity. God used that book to help remove obstacles from my life so that my heart and mind would be open to the gospel itself. Mere Christianity was written by C.S. Lewis. When I began reading that book, I was not a Christian. When I finished reading that book, I was a Christian. That book did not lead me to Christ. The missionary that led me to Jesus Christ is the Word of God. But God used that book to dismantle the objections that had been holding in my mind, dismissing Christianity as not credible. There's a book that was recently written and released, and it's called Mere Evangelism. So in case you think I'm twisting words, here are the two books. Mere Evangelism, it's this size, written by a gentleman, Randy Newman, who uh, came to Christ reading the, mere, the book called Mere Christianity. Heard about this, and I thought, holy moly, a like-minded individual. Uh, maybe we're twins separated at birth. I want to read this book. He's got some great thoughts on, on evangelism, and I, I would encourage you to pick up that, that book. Mere evangelism takes the words of mere Christianity and shows us how, at times, C.S. Lewis was very biblical in his approach to helping people understand the offer that God was making to them and yet dismantling their objections to Christianity at the same time. Mere Evangelism is a fantastic book. Highly recommend it to you. Well, I learned long ago that uh, various objections and misunderstandings that I have, either in my initial approach to Christianity or in my life as a Christian, I've come to understand this simple truth. The heart cannot rejoice in what the mind rejects. And so sometimes part of our task in, 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 in bringing, something to Jesus, bringing someone to Jesus Christ is, is to understand, first and foremost, they might not need a gospel presentation right now. They might need a relationship within which they can ask questions and realize this is a safe conversation they have. They might need me to love on them and show them that Christians can be normal. They might need you to just be with them and journey with them for a period of time until it is that they are ready in their heart 
to accept what their mind has come to believe. So we're going to look at that this morning. My aim this morning is to show you from the Gospel of John chapter 4 that God wants you, God wants to use you to help people to come to uh, believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So I'll repeat that as we go through, and I think I have three things to talk to you about that I find in John chapter 4 that support this idea that God wants to use you to help people to come to know him through in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So we've looked at uh, John chapter 4, the first part, and as I mentioned to you uh, last week, I think there are two parts to the, to the chapter. The first half of the chapter deals with uh, Jesus is what makes Christ, Christian worship unique, and I think the second half of the chapter uh, treats it this way, Jesus is what makes Christian witness unique. So we, we'll be looking at that. First half of the chapter, we had the example, the woman at the well. The second half, we have the teaching, the words of, of Jesus Christ. And I'm finding as we go through Jesus, uh, uh, the Gospel of John, and maybe you've encountered this as well, boy, we could spend Sunday after Sunday talking about some of these conversations. Wow. I mean, there's just, I could go several weeks on John. This is tremendous, John chapter 4. But I'm going to drill down deep on just a few verses, starting with verse 35. So I know you heard it read in the context of having the, the second half read, but let's, let's look at this one sentence again. Uh, verse 35. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe and ready for harvest. Okay, so three things I want to point out that will help you to understand that God wants you to help people come to know him in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The first one is the anticipation of the harvest. Be aware that there is a harvest. There really is a harvest. And God wants to use you in working in his harvest field. There should be an anticipation of the harvest. Open your eyes, Jesus said, and look at the people. Look at the fields. They are ripe and ready to be harvested. Look at people the same way you would look at a field. Not that they're projects, not that they're not important, but they are people. And there's an activity that is happening in their lives that is a necessary precursor to the harvest. God is at work in their lives and it would surprise you to know or to be able to see how much it is that God is at work in their lives. Remember, Jesus says, this is part of an explanation that Jesus is giving, how it is that he had a conversation with a woman in Samaria. And his disciples wanted to know. They were afraid to ask those questions, but they were wondering, what gives with him talking to this Samaritan woman? Jesus, in the course of responding to that, is explaining to them, you should have seen this happening already. You should have anticipated this. You should have seen it coming. Open your eyes. It was there for you to see all along. There is a harvest and it's ripe. It's ready. And that means in order for the harvest to be ripe and ready, some activity has already occurred. God has been at work in the life of the Samaritan woman, getting her to a place where she was ready to be open and receptive to the conversation that the Messiah had with her. And she was not looking for that conversation that day. She was looking to get away from people and go there in the quietness of the heat of the day and be alone. And she met Jesus, and she was ready. Phenomenal. When Jesus said, open your eyes and look at the harvest, they have, that may have been odd to the disciples because they weren't thinking harvest. 
They were surprised. Surprised that Jesus was talking to a woman. Surprised that Jesus even wanted to go to Samaria. Surprised because they, they wouldn't have thought Jesus would have much to do with anybody in Samaria, let, Samaria, let alone a Samaritan woman. Surprised because they didn't see the harvest. How about you? Do you know anyone who seems to be so far removed from God that it appears as if they are out of God's reach? Well, you would never check that box on the quiz, so put it this way. Is there anybody that you can think of where you would just be floored if they became a Christian? Do you realize God is at work in their lives? Already. Without you saying anything or doing anything or any other Christian saying anything or doing anything with them, God is at work in their lives for the purpose of drawing them to himself. The reason I'm pushing on this a bit is because we often don't pray about those things that we think could not happen, which is unfortunate. We should be praying about those specific things because God can make things happen. But sometimes we can get discouraged and give up and we pray and we pray and we pray for years and we don't see any progress or any change. There's nothing on the outside that gives any indication at all that God is interested in or responding to our prayers and so we, we stop praying. And I'm saying, please don't do that. Be encouraged. There is a harvest. Be encouraged. God is working in the harvest in the field. He is working to produce a harvest. Okay, so quick quiz. How do you know there's really a harvest? Everybody look around the room. Just, just spend a moment, look around the room. Look at other people. I think almost every here, everyone here is a Christian. Guess what, gang? You are part of the harvest. How do you know there's a harvest? You are here. <laughs> you have a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. If you have a saving relationship with God, you are part of the harvest. Look around. This is the harvest. This is a small part of the harvest. Boy, all over our nation, all over our time zone, at this particular moment, there are Christians gathered together to worship God and proclaim the worthiness of God. They are part of the harvest. They have been harvested already. And now God wants to send them back into the fields and do some work at bringing people to himself. So God wants you to help people get to know God, through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, notice I say that a little differently every time. And one reason is, uh, one reason you can um, know that to be the case is that there actually is a harvest. Here's the second one is there, there is work to be done in the harvest. God wants to use you, be encouraged, there is a harvest, but also be aware there is work to be done in the harvest. This is not automatic. There will be reaping and there will be sowing. God will choose to use people. And at times, it will not be easy. Bringing people to Jesus Christ is more than reaping, more than explaining the gospel. It's also more than sowing. Both aspects of evangelism and pre-evangelism are necessary to bring someone to a saving relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. God is seeking worshipers, we found out in, in uh, John chapter 4, verse 24. Not that he's seeking worshipers who do it right. He's just seeking people who will rightly be related to him and worship him. 
In his great work of bringing people to himself, God chooses to use Christians. And in the work of using Christians to bring people to himself, God uses Christians differently. Don't compare yourself with other Christians. It might be God's call to use you in a very specific way that is different than you've ever seen before. And that needs to be okay. Let's look at verse 36. So I think we read 35. Let's look at verse 36. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now uh, he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. You might have a translation that says be glad together. There is no reaping without sowing. And there is no sowing that matters if there is no uh, harvest. God calls people, equips people, and sends people into the harvest field in order to make his offer known. Well, we sometimes do. We neglect the harvest because we don't see the harvest. We might be too busy to see the harvest. Most of us are probably way busier than we want to be in life. There's things on our wish list that we know at this point in time we will never do. And we just have to let some things go. We might not see the harvest because we're busy. We might not see the harvest because we're distracted. In the time that we do have where we get to make some choices about how to use our time, there are a lot of things to do that can capture our time and our attention, our energy. There are lots of fun things to do. There's also a lot of hard things to do. Life is hard. And sometimes just the hardness of life, the hardness of relationships, the hardness of financial provision, the hardness of health, sometimes just the difficulties and the challenges of life keep us from seeing the harvest field. We also might not see the harvest field because deep down we really don't want to see the harvest field. It's a bit messy out there. And it's just easier if we weren't stepping in. All of that sounds hard. Here's my point. It will never be easy for you to engage in the harvest field. But don't let that be a reason or an excuse not to engage. God wants to use you to help people to come to believe him in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's a third one. There's a joy of the harvest. The joy of the harvest. Uh, last sentence, last phrase of verse 36. So that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. There's joy in both works. There is joy in being a sower, even if you never see the reaping, even if you never do the reaping, even if you die and someone is still being worked on and coming to Christ after you live, there's joy in sowing because you know you're pleasing God. There's also joy in reaping. I wonder how many of you have ever been at the finish line with somebody. Oh boy, that is amazing. To see someone place their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ, you get to see conversion right there. Regeneration, born again. Wow, amazing. There's joy. What makes the sower rejoice is the harvest. And what makes the reaper rejoice, same thing, the harvest. Knowing that there's a harvest brings joy. Now, in the case of the Samaritan woman, 
the woman at the well, I think Jesus is implying as he takes us through this teaching that God had prepared the woman at the well to meet him. And God prepared Samaritans to meet Jesus through her story, through her testimony. This is more unusual than you might think. Let's back up and take a look at verse 6 of John chapter 4. We didn't read it today. We looked at this a little bit last week. Verse 6, John chapter 4. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was, was from the journey, sat down by the well. And this is so easy to miss this little detail. It says... It was about the sixth hour, which means it was noon. Most of those who had come for water came early in the day when it was still cool and so that they could get fresh water for their homes and have it for the course of the day. She comes at noon. Why? Might have something to do with how she felt, and we're going to read about how she felt in a few moments, but it could be she's an outcast from her own community. And her community as Samaritans are outcasts from the Jews. So it's like nobody really wants to be around her. It could be that she's there to avoid being seen by people and being confronted by people. Now, it, it appears that she's isolated and marginalized, but God is using that in part in, for preparation. Let's read on with this exchange. Verse 16. Jesus told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman re uh, replied, I can see that you are a prophet. Wow, nobody knows this stuff, or she didn't want strangers to know this stuff about her. Well, Jesus gently leads her to faith, and then that's going to take her down to verse 28. Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, keep in mind, this is the town, this is the people that she's trying to avoid. And now she's going back to them and saying some things. Goes back to the town and tells the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward Jesus. Now, we've got some teaching, and the next part actually overlaps with timing. So I, just for the sake of ease, I'm going to move you down to verse 39. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So the Samaritans, and as a community now, believe the testimony of a woman that they did not hold in high regard. What we have is a summary of events and a summary of the conversations that this woman had with Jesus and with others. Why would they believe? Why would they believe her and then Jesus? We're not told why, 
in this passage of Scripture. We're not told why they, they chose to believe her, but we are told some things. They knew her, which meant that they knew of her past, her present circumstances, her standing. They knew of her desire to be left alone. And suddenly she goes looking for the very people that she's been trying to avoid for quite some time. And she's got one thing to say. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He's the one we've been waiting for. Now don't miss this. The woman's past is part of what God used to sow gospel seeds. Because they got to see the joy in her life, the joy of meeting Jesus. This is one of those times in this, this teaching, this little paragraph I'm looking at, where Jesus uh, refers to something that's still in the future, but he applies it into the present tense. But, uh, let's take a look at verse 38. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. As far as I can tell from, from reading John chapter 4, really a whole number of times, what Jesus sent the disciples to do was to go into town and find food. But here it says, I, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Well, when did that happen? That's a sending that's yet to come. We know the big sending is, is great commission material, and that's post-resurrection, and Jesus Christ gathers his apostles, and he says, I, I send you to the nations, basically, go into all the world, baptize, teach them everything I've, I've commanded you. But there's another sending that's much closer in proximity to this statement that John makes, or excuse me, that Jesus makes as recorded in John. In John chapter 20, Jesus said, as, I, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Literally, the word there is apostle for sent. So it would say, if you were just being brutally literal about it, Jesus said at the end of his life, as the Father apostled me, so I apostle you. Okay, so when did the choosing of the apostles occur? When did Jesus send out the apostles? There's no mention of Jesus choosing 12 apostles in the Gospel of John. We have it in the other three Gospels. So as we compare notes and flip around some pages, it looks like it happened after John 5 and before John 6. By the time we get to John 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000 and we have 12 apostles. So sometime prior to that moment, Jesus chose 12 sent ones, and he sent them. So Jesus is taking something that's, that's gonna, that is near-term future, and he says, I send you, I have sent you to reap what you have not sown. And who knows who did the sowing and when that happened. Was it God only? Was it God and people? Was it a little bit of both? How did, how did this work out? We're not told. Only that the disciples, the apostles, would be sent to reap, and there would be a harvest, because Jesus promised, and they would reap what they have not sown. Others have done the more difficult work, 
Boy, there are times when I've I met somebody and five minutes into meeting them, I'm talking about how to come to Christ. Usually that's in my office where they know I'm a pastor and they kind of come with this. Ex- I have an expectation that they want to hear spiritual things. I'm barely into you. How, who are you anyway? And we're talking about how to come to Christ, lead them to Christ. Man, that's like eating candy. That's so easy. Other people have done the hard work of walking with them and journey with them for some period of time, explain it, explain it, explain it, and people have prayed and prayed and prayed, and I just happen to be there right at the moment. Too easy. The apostles are going to experience some things like that, where someone else did the preparation, and it could have taken years. God, Jesus is saying, get ready. Here we go. I'm sending you to reap for what you have not sown. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it up here and bring you some application and uh, scoot this out of the way because I'm going to ask some handsome elders to come up here and I want you to see them in all their glory. So, handsome elders, come on up here please and a youth pastor. Here we go. Did I hear a, a snarky comment? Believe me, uh, snarky comments have already happened, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to try to play it straight. Let, let's move this one out of the way. Chris, you're going to stand over here. So here's the thing uh, for application. I just want I want you to have a visual, because I, I don't want you to forget this. So I, hopefully you'll, you'll remember this. These men are going to help me come to know Christ. Chris is the Christ figure. That's easy to remember, right? Chris, Christ, got it? Yeah. <laughs> Chris is the Christ figure. Handsome beard and all. Wow. Did you trim this recently? Yeah, I thought you did. Okay, so these men are not obstacles. They're going to help me with my own obstacles. That's a little different twist than what I told you about. So as I'm right here, you know what? I can't see Chris. Can't see him at all. Tyler, if you tell me Chris is there, uh, I don't know if I believe you. <laughs> I can't see him. I can see a little bit of Mr. Steve because uh, he's taller than... Donnie, man, I, I, I guess Chris is there. Oh, so, okay, so this is kind of like me, but I'm also just making up some things. So let's say I'm a, a person who's secular, I don't know, age 25, it's just so you know I can think and reason I've been to college. Um, what's that? <laughs> yeah, 25 was long ago. Um, Let's say I had one parent who was a Catholic, the other parent was a Muslim. Nominal, nominal Catholic, nominal Muslim. I have that in my background. So my friend Tyler that I got to know a few years ago is going to help me understand because as long as I've been alive in this world, one of my parents has been telling me the Bible's been changed. It's no good. My friend Tyler's going to help me understand that the Bible can actually be trustworthy because at this moment in time, Tyler, if you were to tell me about Jesus Christ, I would know that you got that information from the Bible. I don't believe the Bible. It's been changed. You guys have messed with it. All kinds of different translations, you call it. Why didn't you just have an angel come down and give the whole thing like my dad said in, in the Muslim faith? So what's, what's going on with this? And this, he's going to gently and patiently help me to understand that the Bible is trustworthy. Now, the interesting thing about Tyler is everything about him is winsome to me. I want to be like him. And I'm beginning to think that the Bible he reads has something to do with that. So there comes a point in time, and I didn't know it, but you've been praying for me this whole time. I didn't, 
I finally get to this point in time where I think, okay, I, I, I'm going to give it a shot. Because it's you telling me that the Bible is credible, I'm going to believe you. I think I'm going to start reading the Bible. That process took me five years. Thank you, Tyler, for helping me out. See you, man. Donnie. <laughs> Don is here to help me to understand that Christians are not weird. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> this is not at all typecast. This would be a supernatural work of God if Don helped me to understand that. <laughs> Why do they th seem to think this is funny? Yeah. So, Christians believe in things they don't see. They hate people they say they love. They're narrow-minded and intolerant, and, and they don't have fun. But Don, believe it or not, Don is normal. And he's a Christian. And at first, I don't know, how to make, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, we, we can talk about fun things, the Seahawks and the Huskies and family things and dumb things we did as kid, kids, but then we can also talk about real stuff, the heartaches of life. And you occasionally talk about God and how he, he works into that with you. And I'm just being drawn to this where I'm realizing he's one, one, of, the, one of the best friends I've ever had, and he's, he's a Christian, but he's normal. So I think about this, I think about this, I think about this, and finally I decide, yeah, I guess it's possible to be a Christian and to be normal. Thank you, Don. I appreciate that. All right. So you see how I'm getting closer to Christ? I'm getting closer. Still can't see, but I am closer. I started over here, and there were obstacles in the way, and we cleared out some obstacles. Now I'm getting closer, and I get to meet up with my friend Steve. What were we going to talk about? <laughs> You know what, there's, I do have these obstacles of unanswered questions. Growing up in the home I grew up with, I, I heard all kinds of stuff, and even the stuff that I heard from the nominal Christian side wasn't very Christian at times and not accurate, and I just am, am beginning to wonder, who will I ever find who can answer my questions? True story, I actually got on a plane from San Diego to fly to San Francisco to meet my uncle, a retired pastor, because I had questions. I wasn't finding anybody who could answer my questions. What is Christianity? That uncle couldn't answer me. Ugh. So I had to read the Bible and find out some things for myself. But, but Steve is here. Steve's a good thinker. Have you ever noticed that about Steve? He just thinks things through. And I have these questions about Christians being narrow-minded and intolerant and the whole gender thing and where, what you guys are doing with that. But also, I'm, I've been starting to read the Bible. And I've got some funny questions that I don't, don't want to ask at anybody other than you. Okay, so if Jesus is God and Jesus died on a cross, did God die? Can you, can you help me understand that? Want, want me to get a microphone? And you can, <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. But I've got questions like that. Why did the Bible change anyway? Like he said, and, and what about these things of not everybody goes to heaven? Why are Christians so intolerant? Where did that come from? And I prayed once and it didn't happen what I prayed about. And why, why does God sometimes not answer prayer? I, there's a lot of questions I have before I can step around and really see Christ. I, I need help with that. And Steve patiently helps me to understand some answers to questions. But I also notice he can't answer everyone, every question I have. And that doesn't seem to bother him. So I'm beginning to think I can, I can believe in God. I can even trust God. 
and not have all my questions answered. Like maybe God is bigger than me. Okay, I'll give it a shot. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Chris, where you been? I've been waiting for you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's been there all along. I just couldn't see him because of the obstacles. Good answer. Thank you very much. Three words about evangelism. It is precise. It's about Jesus. Always about Jesus. Even if you're in a situation where you are sowing and it's long-term and you know it, the ultimate goal, your line of sight goes to Jesus. Not to the church. Not to you. Not to, an organ, not to uh, giving up something that looks immoral, your ultimate line of sight goes to Jesus. Evangelism is precise. That's what people need to know. They need to know about Jesus. Evangelism is personal. It's somebody telling somebody. That could be part of the sowing. It could be a little bit of the reaping. It's going to be personal. This is not dive bomb a country with leaflets that it basically explain what we call the four spiritual laws. No, it's personal. One person telling another person. I've even heard it said, it's like one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Evangelism is a process, and that might take a whole chunk of time. You can be in and out of this process at any given time with various people. I represented some obstacles with three individuals, but you know what? In my life, as well as yours, and, and a whole lot of people have come to Christ, there was more than one person doing that, working in, in that particular area. There's a whole slew of people. You can enter into the process of evangelism just by helping people remove some obstacles with the line of sight of getting them toward Jesus Christ. Jesus said, open your eyes. There is a harvest. There is such a thing as a harvest. And it's more ready than you might think. Would you pray with me, please? Our great God, as we um, give consideration to what we have heard and seen this morning, stop us from going down the path of thinking, this applies to somebody else. Someone else will do the sowing. Someone else will do the reaping. I'll just rejoice in knowing there's a harvest. Don't let us think like that. Right now in the quietness of this moment, oh Lord, I pray that you would examine our hearts and reveal to us people who are in the harvest field right now and we have not considered them to be anywhere near ready. So far gone that it just feels futile to say anything. We want to encourage ourselves with the word of God that says there is a harvest and that you are, you are already at work in the harvest field. So knowing that you are, are at work, help us to see that. 
to begin to understand that these people that we encounter, and some of them we perhaps have in our relationships, even our families, our extended families, help us to realize that you want them, you are revealing yourself to them, you are drawing them to you, and we just want to join in with the work that you are already doing. So no matter what the cost, what the price, the inconvenience, the awkwardness of saying things and doing things, God, we want to be ready to be used by you in whatever way you choose. Help us to be ready. In Jesus' name, amen.